From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Connecting with Walt. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. We, we, we ended April with uh, April showers bring May flowers out here. We had a major thunderstorm roll through our area. felt very Mm. Orlando-ish. Yeah, (laughs) no, and it's, I mean, that's the opposite of here because it's been barely any thunderstorms. So uh, that's, yeah, no, it's, well, I will say the one issue I've had was I just recently got back from Disneyland, of Mm -hmm. course, and basically I think the first day we were there, the high was in the mid 80s and then after that the high was in the low 70s for like the rest of the trip so it was an awful realization when i walked outside at night in florida and realized that the low temperature that it currently was was still warmer than it was the hottest day that i was in california oh my gosh yeah (laughs) yeah when you were out in our kingdom the weather was beautiful and i was out there for part of the time you were there too although you 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 were you were working and i was playing (laughs) yeah it's our our paths didn't get to cross for more than a couple seconds but I, i think people are going to enjoy what came out of the the work we are doing there, and I, I know you and I will see each other soon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we got to talk for just a few minutes, and um, yeah, I was out there to see Pixar Fest and the... Um and and the lack of the Pixar Fest popcorn buckets, yeah. I was so disappointed. And then I did get the Mike Wazowski cup, and, and then it... Um, I had it all nicely packed in my suitcase and um, all just, I mean, it was great. And then TSA decided to open my suitcase and they unpacked it. They unwrapped it and didn't rewrap it. And so it broke. It was broken by the airlines handling my suitcase in their own deft way. So I'm very, I am not, I was not happy. But uh, anyway, but... um, Otherwise, I had a great time. And then I did Mouse Adventure with Mary Jo and Leslie and Chrissy. I was honored to be part of the team um, Green Boa Divas. What's a male diva? Is that a divo? I have no idea. Did they make you wear the green boa? Uh, there, there is a photo. If you all go on to um, uh, uh, at Connecting Walt on Twitter or on my Facebook page with the Connecting with Walt banner, you will see me in all my glory with the other lovely young ladies um, in our boas. Oh my we didn't goodness. wear them. Th- oh. We didn't wear them throughout the day. Okay, because it would have gotten a little warm. But we had them tucked out so that people could see them. Yeah. I'll have we to... had so much fun. That's great. And no, I, yes. I'll have to go look at the picture because uh, since I did get the chance to work with Mary Jo, uh, a, 
up until that point throughout the week, she was wearing the the Mickey Ma- uh, Minnie Mouse ears every single day with the green green feather in there, getting ready for her and her and the boa girls. So I, I've got to see you wearing the boa now. Yeah, yeah, and and I did do a little work. I was honored to be a guest on the Best and Worst of Disneyland. And I was there with Tyler, of course, who's been on our show, Challenging and Trivia, and Mary Jo, and of course, Luella and Katrina. And so we had a great time, and listeners to this show, you will definitely want to see that episode of of Best and Worst of Disneyland when it airs, because I think um, the reason you listen to this show, it will... will, um, connect with you yeah, <laughs> that it, episode it, of best and worst of disneyland it's uh it's our first crossover episode it is that's right it is and i bumped into a few listeners Corey, who was at the 20th anniversary and hung out with us on our special at the connecting with walt event yeah i saw him too yeah, for the so, yeah, yeah. yeah he told me he saw yeah. you i had lunch with him yeah and all that and you told me you had a wonderful interaction Oh yeah, listener. No, we met uh, met an awesome person, uh, Sherelle, and she told us probably one of the most inspiring stories that we've ever heard, and that's that her her listening to connecting with Walt and hearing the history and backstory helped her actually land a an executive position at a company that I think is very near and dear to all of our hearts who are listening. I don't know if she'd want me to out her and say exactly which company that is, but if we're talking about it here, I think we can all put the pieces together. But yeah, we've we have now is, is that a company we've connect with? I, I think we could, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I I the fact that we have now successfully helped someone achieve and exe- help obviously i'm sure she she did a lot on her own to be <laughs> considered for that but the fact that she credited uh, partially our our show is to the help to push her above and beyond in her interview process that's that's just such such a great compliment to i give you mo- 99% of the credit i just help out with my great color commentary and getting the show up Yes, well, if you didn't get the show on the air, <laughs> I could sit here talking all I want and researching all I want. It'd make no difference. So don't don't um, undervalue yeah, what you but, do. Uh, but um, but I, that just makes me so happy that uh, I'm sure this was a huge life goal for Sherelle. Yes. And, and to think we played a tiny part in helping her achieve that just makes me so happy. Um, so Sherelle, I hope... I hope I get a chance to congratulate you in person someday, yeah. and and I'll give you a connecting with Walt button. You can wear it um, on your, you know, put it on in, on your executive lapel. <laughs> and, um, but thank you, and thank you for letting us know. I mean, that's just wonderful, and yeah. I, I'm confident you will be very successful. Yeah, and of, of course too. That was that's just a short list of a lot of the people that we got to hang out with, who are fans of the show and all the other ones that we do. And so, just uh, we we try to remind you as much as possible at any time. But any any time you see either Michael or I in the parks outside of them, whether it's at the Walt Disney Family blah, Walt Disney Family Museum or me, just. I, it happens every now and then when I'm just going to the grocery store. Anytime you see us, just feel free to say hi. And, you know, we love we love meeting everyone. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely we do. And we, and we love hearing stories. I love hearing uh, you know, how and when you listen to the show, um, you know, and, and getting your input on your thoughts and memories. Sometimes we talk about, uh, I know, events that you remember um, from your own childhood or experiences you had with loved ones in your family. And we, we bring those up on the show, in, in like, especially in when we do our, our sort of retrospective of the history of the parks. I know it triggers a lot of memories for you all, and you sh- we love hearing those stories. So um, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, well, it's great that uh, Craig and I were both at Disneyland together because we are continuing, and actually, we're con- we're concluding this decade of our series, sixty years of Disneyland. That you know, I started over on the Dis Unplugged Disneyland edition. Now, in the last three episodes of Connecting with Walt, we talked about. Uh, 60 years of Disneyland, the new millennium, covering 2000, and we'll go up to 2005 today. So in part one of the new millennium, we covered events in resorts history in 2000, starting with the 45th anniversary of Disneyland, up to the debut of the largest expansion in Disneyland's history in 2001. In part two, we talked about 2001, from the opening of Disney's California Adventure to the attacks against the United States on 9-11, and the effect it had on the Disneyland Resort. In part three, we went through the years of 2002 and 2003 at the resort, and in this episode, Craig and I bring you part four, um, starting with 2004 and concluding with the 50th anniversary of Disneyland in 2005. So, so we're going to get into our, back into our Carousel of Progress Wayback Machine yes. and go back to 2004. And, you know, that year began with the Walt Disney Company executives and management being more concerned about defending itself against a hostile takeover attempt by the cable giant Comcast than it was in Disneyland. It seems amazing that was so long ago. It seems like it was only yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. Um, The park was approaching its 50th anniversary, and the Pressler-era years of cost-cutting, deferred maintenance, and lack of attention and resources to the park were being noticed by even the most casual visitor to the park. Um, Longtime cast members and Imagineers had become public in their criticism of park management and how they had abandoned Walt's philosophy that by maintaining high standards of maintenance and cleanliness, you know, in Investing in new attractions and infrastructure and always promoting a positive guest experience will pay off in the long run by attracting more guests to the park. And they were doing the exact opposite with the opposite results. So, um, however, all of this was about to change after the appointment of a new Disneyland Resort president, Matt Wiemet, in 2003. And in 2004, Matt and his team launched Project Sparkle, a campaign to repaint and repair practically every building in Disneyland after years of neglect. Every trash can in in the park was repainted at a significant cost. Uh, And this is why I still hear to this day, I hear Pete raving about Matt Wamet and everything about him. I had no recollection of who he was back at that time. But it's funny that now, you know, 15 years later, I know I know everything that this man did for Disneyland in this time period. 
Oh, yes. And he, I think he came over from the cruise lines, Disney Cruise Lines. Yes. Over to Disneyland. Yeah. And he had really done a fantastic job bringing the cruise lines up. Yes, that's, to, that's to part of the story. Standards. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so part, some of the things that um, Matt and his team at Project Sparkle did was, you know, the facade for It's a Small World was restored to its original golden white colors with blue and white lighting at night. You might remember in earlier episodes it had gotten painted to the multicolored pastels, which actually was the original concept of Rolly Crumps. Um, the attraction sound system was replaced, and a new digital version of the original New York World's Fair soundtrack was installed. Um, over at the Haunted Mansion, Madame Leota started to magically levitate above the seance table. I think that's such a great effect. Um, Tomorrowland was repainted in colors of white, silver, blue, and violet. A Snow White and Enchanting New Musical debuted at the Fantasyland Theater on February 23rd. This 35-minute musical production um, brings the story of Snow White to the stage as it follows her from the Queen's Castle to the Cottage of the Seven Dwarfs in the Enchanted Forest, incorporating many of the favorite songs from the film like Whistle While You Work and Hi-Ho. This show brings to life the classic scenes, and this was after years of scaled-down productions at the Fantasyland Theater. This was a large production with wonderfully detailed sets, like the Evil Queen's Castle and the Seven Dwarfs Cottage, to recreate the look of the film. Um, guests were treated to a lot of special effects, including the animation of Magic Mirror, voiced by Star Trek's Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Patrick oh, wow. Stewart. I need yeah, to go back yeah. and watch this. It's. I loved it, and you know the thing is, it wasn't. Um, it, it wasn't like it overly popular. Uh, I think it, it had a fairly short run. I thought though, it was it was beautifully executed. That is nuts to think, considering how beloved Snow White is. But uh, yeah, I, I. It sounds awesome to me. I I thought it was. I thought it was just so well done. So. Um, in March, new permanent security gates were installed in the Esplanade to improve security and reduce congestion. Fastpass was removed from Pirates of the Caribbean, Winnie the Pooh, Star Tours, and other attractions because it was deemed unnecessary for these attractions. Um, Disney executives took note of the popularity of Walt Disney World's The Twilight Zone Tower of Terror and decided to construct a similar version at Disney's California Adventure in their ongoing initiative to attract more guests to that park. The Twilight Zone Tower of Terror opened May 4th at Hollywood Pictures' backlot. Now, this was a simplified version of the original Florida attraction. It lacked both the redundant ride system and the journey across the fifth dimension, which is my, it's my favorite part of the Disney Hollywood Studio version. Yeah, honestly, a lot of people from California that I've talked to about it, it is their favorite aspect of our version. That, that's why they mm -hmm. never were really able to get behind the California version because it never had that. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I would ride the the uh, the one in Florida, not the one in California. Um, 
The exterior of Disney's California Adventures Towers had architectural features reminiscent of Pueblo Deco styles found throughout Southern California during the Golden Age of Hollywood. Now, Imagineers redesigned the ride system for the attraction at Disney California Adventure and made some changes to the show scenes. Um, the attraction featured three elevator shafts. Each shaft was its own separate ride with its own separate operating system. And this made it easier to repair individual areas of the attraction without causing the entire attraction to go down. Each shaft had the capacity to accommodate two vehicles operating from two load levels. So each vehicle vehicle loading and unloading at the same point. Um, the ride was designed so that one vehicle could be in its ride profile whilst the other was at its loading level, giving each ride shaft the ability to accommodate more riders. The attraction's main theme was conducted by Richard Bellis and incorporates Mario's Constant's iconic Twilight Zone theme, along with the Season 1 theme by Bernard Herrmann. In a brief opening ceremony for the Tower of Terror, Disneyland Resort President Matt Wiemet accepted a 13-diamond award for the Hollywood Tower Hotel from AAA, an honor previously given to the Hollywood Tower Hotel at Walt Disney World. And the award is a comedic nod to the Automobile Association's actual diamond ratings program. As Disney CEO Michael Eisner introduced a new attraction, he called it one of the most advanced multi-sensory attractions anywhere in the world. Eisner said that the Tower of Terror was an example of how the Disney company was keeping Walt Disney's vision by designing new attractions, creating new technologies, and seeking new ways in which to dazzle our guests as never before. Carol Serling, wife of Twilight Zone creator Rod Serling, was also present to help dedicate the attraction. And she thanked Eisner for bringing the Tower of Terror to California and said, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that one of these days a hotel will be built in France, Japan, and Hong Kong. She said that her late husband would be thrilled to see his beloved fifth dimension brought to life. So uh, what do you think of uh, the, well, of what did you think of the California version of Tower of Terror, Craig? I didn't hate it, but that's because it was so different from the one that I grew up with. So I, I did like the aspects of it and the parts that I still do, like I like the, the pushback instead of just being in your elevator and going straight up, I'm, I know it makes very little sense to get pushed back right away, but I, I don't know. There was something about it that was just kind of, kind of neat to it. And uh, other than that, it, I, you know, it at the core essence, it's still the same attraction. So it 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 wasn't something I did more than maybe twice of all the times I went to California when it was open. So it, it wasn't a must-do for me out there because Florida's was still superior, but I also wasn't one of the adamant people that just completely hated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't completely hate it either. I enjoyed it. it. I enjoyed it for what it was and that it was different. You know, I prefer, though, the Disney Hollywood Studio version over it. But yeah, it, yeah. the California version is the one that sort of traveled around the world. The, the fifth dimension part was never recreated. Yeah, and so. I, you know what, at the end of the day, if 
if the choice was at that time between having the version that California got stuck with or having none at all, I think I think many people out there would would have been okay with the one that was placed inside the park and the people who are now obsessed with Guardians of the Galaxy are even more happy that mm-hmm. that version came out there because I I would have to sit back and think if if Disney California Adventure got our version of Tower of Terror, I'm not quite sure that that one would have went away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might not have, you know. So, but, but you know, the public debut for this attraction was low-keyed, uh, as everything seemed to be with this park. Um, and the first day guest turnout was below expectations. Um, it appeared Disney was going to have to do something much more spectacular to draw guests to this park. Um, Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel completed a renovation in June featuring redesigned guest rooms, an enhanced lobby, and a new pool area with a water slide. Now, the Walt Disney Company had launched the Swim with the Stars tour at Walt Disney World in August, and three Olympians, um, Lenny um, Kreselberg, um, Ian Crocker, and Michael Phelps toured the United States giving inspirational speeches and promoting youth swimming and similar programs and participating in exhibition swim meets with young athletes from local swim clubs. And after Orlando, the tour traveled to Atlanta, Long Island, Baltimore, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Salt Lake City, Seattle, Sacramento, and San Francisco before its final event at Disneyland on October 5th. So to prepare for this event, a real swimming pool was constructed in just under 30 hours on Main Street, USA. The pool measured 164 feet long, which is 50 meters, by 24 feet wide, which was three swimming lanes, and three and a half feet deep. Then 103,944 gallons of water were added and heated to 80 degrees for the Olympic swimmers and their teams. For this event, local youth swim champions ranging in age from 5 to 15 were invited to participate in a four-leg 200-meter relay. So two-time gold medalist Ian Crocker was joined by local team members Paul Lovely, Chris Trimmer, and Chelsea Riley. Four-time gold medalist Lenny um, Kreiselberg was joined by local team members, and I apologize if you're listening and I mispronounce your names, Matisoro Parento, um, Joy Fuentes, and Shannon um, Reros, and Michael Phelps, six-time gold medal and two-times bronze medal winner, was joined by local team members Kylie Wren, Taylor Meloroger, and Jordan Moreno. Now, before the swim event, the three Olympians, you know, Lenny, Ian, and Michael, each gave a short speech talking about youth swimming and the positive points in participating in youth sports programs. So now in November, Tinkerbell dazzled guests when she began flying back and forth, up and down and around Sleeping Beauty Castle during fireworks shows rather than just flying down from the Matterhorn, and no. I always just find this spectacular. Yeah, it's it's truly incredible. Whether it was Tinkerbell flying back and forth, or during the the one summer fireworks having Dumbo do it, or mm-hmm. the uh, the special surprises for those who have 
been keeping your uh, keeping everything Pixar Fest out of your life because you want to be surprised in person. The the things flying back and forth mm-hmm. for that show is amazing too. And yeah, a uh, couple surprises there. And then that, for a Halloween, of course, we have zero. Yes. Back yeah. Forth. Well, who knows anymore? Um, but when Tinkerbell flew down from the Matterhorn, did she fly down? like the same route that she kind of moves back and forth or did she fly down to main street like like ours did it was it was pretty much like yours she didn't fly ours didn't fly down to main street okay but, um but but, but across was, to like tomorrowland area yes yeah okay. there, there was a yeah there was a um tree with a mattress and a platform and she went right into that okay yeah i just i never had um I never got to see fireworks at Disneyland before that my first time going out for work in 2013. So I never got to see the old way that it happened out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very similar. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Now, Disneyland welcomed 13.4 million guests in 2004, despite the opening of a major e-ticket attraction with... The Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, Disney's California Adventure attracted only 5.6 million guests. Now, in 2005, Disneyland celebrated its golden anniversary called the Happiest Homecoming on Earth, and it received a new attraction and a retro exhibit. Now, the Happiest Homecoming on Earth was the 18th month-long celebration. It went from May 5th, 2005 through September 30th, 2006 of Disneyland's 50th anniversary of that park, commemorating 50 years of Disney theme parks, and it celebrated Disneyland's milestone throughout Disney parks all over the globe. So all all Disney parks open at the time were graced with new attractions from other parks. Um, Since the park was turning 50, an exhibit with a film narrated by Steve Martin was installed into the Main Street Opera House called The First 50 Magical Years. In the lobby are displays featuring models, photos, concept art, and sculptures associated with many Disneyland attractions. Of of course, my favorite was they had a... uh, a display of all the cast member um, name tags for 50 oh, years. Oh, wow. And the one, the style I wore, because we had special ones, given our, you know, yeah. we were, yeah. um, that we wore when we were in the parks, and they had it there. And it, it was Walt's. It oh, that's name on cool. It, it that's was so really cool. cool. I know somewhere I have a photo of that. And I also have mine still, too. Oh, so you better. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's also a scale model of Disneyland as it appeared in the summer of the opening year, um, 1955. The second portion of this exhibit is a film in the Opera House's theater, replacing great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And it features Steve Martin, who once worked at Merlin's Magic Shop in Fantasyland, and, and also over on Main Street in that magic shop, and Donald Duck. The film is a 17-minute-long humorous look at how Disneyland has changed throughout the years. Wait, so that and that's the one they currently show in the pre-show they, area. 
Yeah, it's right. still there in okay. the pre-show area. It's but, a it's a hilarious little film. Oh, it, it's awesome! But that actually replaced great moments with Mr. Lincoln for a short yes. time. Yes, oh, it wow. was it was on hmm. a big screen in the opera house itself. Yeah, that oh yeah, I, I I love watching it. I love getting in there to watch that loop. It's a great mm-hmm. it's a great short. I, it's Donald Duck at his best. <laughs> I, I agree with that, yeah. and Steve Martin too. Yeah. <laughs> In 2004, Disneyland Resort president Matt Wiemann and hundreds of cast members had posed for an aerial photo above Disneyland, with each person holding a nine-square-foot photograph of a Disneyland cast member. When seen from above, the placards formed an image of Mickey Mouse, making it the largest photographic mosaic ever created. And this initiated the happiest faces on Earth, in which over 30 giant mosaics of Disney Blows were displayed at locations around Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure. It was composed of photos submitted by guests from the past 50 years. So, for instance, in front of the Haunted Mansion, there was one of the of the three hitchhiking ghosts, and but it was all made up of tiny little photos of guests that had been sent in in this, this large photographic mosaic. Um, and all the mosaics were created by California artist Roy Feinson. Opening day attractions that were still operating sported one ride vehicle that was painted gold, such as a gold horse-drawn trolley on Main Street, USA, or a gold flying Dumbo, and more. Um, some were on the attractions themselves, and others were placed near the, their attractions as photo spots. And some of them then were repainted afterwards, and they're still there as photo spots, like um, the Mr. Toad's car. And the teacup, I'm assuming, too? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, hidden 50th anniversary logos, and which were golden Mickey Mouse heads with 50 displayed in the middle, um, sometimes disguised as part of the surrounding theme, were hidden in plain sight around the park. Us guests were encouraged to locate all 50 logos. Um, 51, if you count the one that was placed atop the Disneyland Christmas tree in Town Square during the holiday season. That was a lot of fun, going around and finding all those. Um, Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters officially blasted into Tomorrowland on March 17th. Its show building originally housed the Circle Vision 360 Theater. In 1997, as part of a major makeover of Tomorrowland, the Circle Vision Theater was removed and the space became part of the queue for Rocket Rodge, which closed in 2000. The attraction uses a third-generation Omnimover system and is a combination of a shooting gallery and a dark ride. And the backstory of the ride revolves around the attempts of evil Emperor Zerg to steal the batteries, known as crystallic fusion cells, used to power the space vehicles of the Little Green Men. Guests are Star Command raw recruits sent to defeat Zerg. Um, This attraction borrowed many of the same elements from the Tokyo Disneyland version. A key difference between the Disneyland version and the one at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom is that the Disneyland's version, the laser guns can be removed from their mounts to allow for more accurate shooting. And the laser guns at Space Ranger Spin at Magic Kingdom cannot be removed from their mounts and they have limited movement. Um, so, 
do you have a um, a preference over the Buzz Lightyear attractions? I do. Uh, believe it or not, I actually prefer the one in Walt Disney World, and it's. I know the Disneyland one is superior, and it's it's what everyone prefers. But I, I mean, I, I just played the Walt Disney World one so many times. I actually got good at shooting the guns from the position that they're in on the cars <laughs> and knowing how to aim them. So when I go on the one out in Disneyland. It's like I have to learn it all over again. Mm-hmm. And so it's I and obviously I'm a very competitive person. So getting a high score is an important thing for me. And I can do better at the Magic Kingdom one that I can at Disneyland. So <laughs> therefore, instead of taking the time to learn Disneyland, I, I just prefer my Magic Kingdom one. Mm-hmm. I'm a terrible shot. So, uh, you know, I. I I probably prefer the Disneyland one just because I I do a little better on that one. So, but in 2005, the Walt Disney Company premiered a home version of the ride in the form of an online video game that allows users to connect with guests at the parks. The online players could activate targets, enabling higher scores for guests on the attraction. Yeah, no one ever did that for me. Um, the scores of each guest from the dark ride are tallied with the internet gamer and increase the points won. Now, that was an interesting concept. Another popular feature of this attraction is that in-park riders can send themselves an email with their photos and their scores free of charge. It's always so backed up. I just walk past. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'll wait to do it. But um, it, it, I mean, how often do you get a free souvenir? True. True. <laughs> Um, Remember, Dreams Come True fireworks show made its debut on May 1st. This is a fireworks display commemorating the 50th anniversary of the park. Described as an e-ticket in the sky, the show features fireworks, lower-level pyrotechnics, isopar flame effects, state-of-the-art projection mapping, lasers, searchlights, and lighting set to the soundtracks of some of Disneyland's most famous rides and shows. It was created as a homage to Disneyland, its lands, its attractions, and its continuing legacy. It is probably one of the most beloved of all Disneyland fireworks spectaculars. I know it's my favorite soundtrack. It, it's mine as well. Yeah, I only have one issue with it, and I feel like the Star Tours section goes on just a little bit too long compared mm-hmm. to some of the, the treatment some of the other attractions and lands got. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. And I was disappointed when, you know, they, they brought this back several times. They cut the um Shenandoah um yeah, yeah, from yeah. it. And that was yeah. one of my favorites because I, I love that song. So that was the disappointing part for me is that I never got to see this this show as it was. I've and I only maybe saw the re uh the the shortened versions once or twice. I know one of the times I saw it, it was on one of those thick, smoggy kind of Los Angeles nights where the fireworks were going off, but we couldn't even see a single thing. Yeah, just it was the, probably just the lights. T- it was probably just a tiny bit humid. Yeah, I, you know, and and it just didn't go. Yeah, and it, the the smoke didn't dissipate. Yeah, exactly. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, the introduction and conclusion is provided by 50th anniversary ambassador and Disney legend Julie Andrews. And Ms. Andrews tells the audience about the magic of Disneyland. She also talks about Walt and the beauty of dreams and how important they really are. The Wishes Fanfare and theme plays here from, of course, Walt Disney World, and introducing the main musical theme of the entire show. At the conclusion of the display, Remember When, written by Richard Marks and performed by Leanne Rimes, is played throughout the park. Later, during the second season of running the fireworks show, a second song, Wishes, performed by Peebo Bryson and Kimberly Locke, which was from the album Disney Wishes. And the album... Um, Who's, uh, the proceeds for this album went to the Make-A-Wish Foundation and that song was added to play after Remember When so Remember Dreams Come True at Disneyland was produced by Walt Disney Creative Entertainment under the direction of the Vice President of Parades and Spectacular Steve Davison and fireworks designer Eric Tucker the estimated cost of each show was $33,000 Due to pressure from the attraction sponsor, Dole, Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room had been closed for a much-needed refurbishment. The Tiki Room opened on March 12th, restored to all its glory. The caked on dust had been removed from the birds. All the audio animatronics brought up to modern-day standards. The soundtrack was digitized, and a new sound system and lighting had been installed. The faded pre-show film had been replaced and was now shown using a new projection system. The only difference was the Offenbach piece was yes. removed from um, from the show. But otherwise... It was just so wonderful to see it back again. And one day maybe we'll get the Offenbach part back. My favorite mm-hmm. joke: that you stay off on my back, I'll stay off in your back. I, yeah, I it. yeah. It, it's too bad they probably removed it because um, modern generations have no idea who Offenbach was. <laughs> so <laughs> it's called a teaching lesson. I know. I agree. We shouldn't remove those from our children. <laughs> you know, shouldn't remove those opportunities. Exactly. Anything that allows learning, especially when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. I agree. Disneyland's 50th anniversary was July 17th, but the celebration was launched on May 5th in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle, which had been repainted and specially decorated for the celebration with crowns, each one representing one of the park's five decades thank goodness it wasn't a birthday cake (laughs) disneyland park was closed to the public on may 4th the first planned closure of the park in decades for a special media preview disney allowed guests staying at the three disney-owned hotels to become extras for all the media filming going on though they were only notified by a letter delivered in the middle of the night so they had no advance notice (laughs) Um, The happiest homecoming on Earth ceremony officially began on May 5th with a dedication from Disney CEO Michael Eisner. The ceremony included fireworks, speeches from Julie Andrews, as we said, was the official ambassador for the 50th anniversary celebrations, and Arc Link Letter, you might remember, was the original television anchor for the opening day broadcast. There was a performance of When You Wish Upon a 
Star by Christina Aguilera and Leanne Rhymes singing the 50th anniversary theme song Remember When, which, as we mentioned, was composed by Richard Marks. A video conference featured celebrities at the Magic Kingdom, and that one was the only live video conference with Wayne Brady, who is an actor and former Walt Disney World Resort cast member, and then also Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and the construction site of Hong Kong Disneyland. Yeah, but Wayne Brady famously got his start at Universal Orlando in the old Beetlejuice show. Did he really? Yeah, he played um, he played Dracula in it. Oh, how interesting! Yeah, he went to the high school right across the street from it, uh, Doctor Phillips. Hmm. Oh, okay. And what do you know? What did he do at the uh, Magic Kingdom, or what did he do at Walt Disney World Resort? No idea. I'm sure he just worked entertainment or something else like that. Mm-hmm. But no, he prominently it was he was in the Beetlejuice show there. So at Universal, that is. Uh. That's great. What a good a good little trivia question. And now, what's he hosting? Uh, let's make a deal? Yeah, let's make a deal. So yeah, I, I, I still just... like catching that every now and then when mm-hmm. I can. Yeah, I, I I remember the original. Anytime I was homesick from school, you know, all that was on were, were, were game shows on television if you weren't into soap operas. Yeah. So I, and that was always one of my favorite game shows. Uh, and I like it now, too, because usually, you know, when it is paired pretty much right back to back with um you know after the news and stuff but when you get drew carey on on prices right and then wayne brady later on let's make a deal it's kind of like a whose line is it anyway uh reunion of sorts (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's funny those other two guys are on something too i've seen them and i don't know what they're on now yeah um mockley and um i forget the other one yeah 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 anyway Oh, well. Now, before the ceremony at a media presentation in Disney's California Adventure, Disneyland Resort President Matt Wiemet announced the new attractions, Monster Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue, and Turtle Talk with Crush. On May 5th, Disneyland rolled out Walt Disney's Parade of Dreams, conceived by the Vice President of Parades and Spectacular, Steve Davison. He was busy that year. The parade celebrates the dreams of Disney characters and includes Disney characters such as Mickey, Minnie, Tinkerbell, Cinderella, Snow White, Simba, Alice, and the Mad Hatter, Pinocchio, Belle, and Beast, Ariel, Donald, Goofy, and Pluto. Now, the parade included eight floats, which includes Getaway to Dreams, and that was the Peter Pan, Tinkerbell, and Assorted Fairies from Disney Films unit. Dream of Enchantment, and that was the Beauty and the Beast unit. Dream of Laughter, and that's the Pinocchio unit. Dream of Another World, um... I'm so, yeah, Dream of Another World, that was the Little Mermaid unit. Dream of Imagination, that's the Alice in Wonderland unit. Dream of Adventure, the Lion King unit, and Dreams Come True. And that was the finale unit, and that included Mickey, Minnie, the princesses and their princes, Donald, Daisy, Goofy, and the Seven Dwarfs. So, locomotive number five, the Ward Kimball, joined the Disneyland Railroad on June 25th. In honor of Ward Kimball and one of his most beloved characters, Jiminy Cricket is painted on the lantern. 
Some new residents joined the rivers of the world on the Jungle Cruise, with piranhas being added to the rapids area. After decades of Jungle Cruise skippers being the ones shooting pistols, one of the chimps at the base camp is given a gun to take aim at the boats, with baboons who had moved from the African veldt viewing the scene as it unfolds. See, now those all blended in so well. I thought they had always been a part of Disneyland's. No, no, those got added in. Interesting. Mm -hmm. On July 14th, Disneyland was honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Actually, the park received an award of excellence adjacent to the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Hollywood's Chamber of Commerce decided to issue this first-of-its-kind award to the happiest place on Earth in recognition of the park's 50th anniversary. Bob Iger and Michael Eisner attended the ceremony to accept a copy of the resolution that paid tribute to Disneyland golden anniversary. Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy were also in attendance. The star is in front of Disney's Soda Fountain and Studio Store next to the El Capitan Theater. Of course, today it's the Ghirardelli um, you know, ice cream shop. The actual day of Disneyland's 50th Dedication Day and press preview on July 17th was an event marked by guest enthusiasm. Due to the thousands of fans that began lining up at 3 in the afternoon the day before, Disney's California Adventure was opened and housed guests until the next morning. A second line formed outside the security checkpoints as thousands more arrived in the final hours before the park opened. Disneyland Park opened at 7 a.m., although it took several hours to admit the crowds that showed up that morning. The rededication ceremony was full of fanfare and concluded with Walt Disney's eldest daughter, Diane Disney Miller, rededicated Disneyland as her father did in 1955. To honor the anniversary, Disneyland donated an original Dumbo elephant and a big old teacup to the Smithsonian's permanent collection. The United States House of Representatives approved a resolution congratulating the park on reaching this milestone. So, and I'm sure the Magic Kingdom will have, um, you know, an even larger, I would think, 50th. Please don't. Please don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, and gosh, you know, what's sad is, is that, you know, who from the Disney family? Would no one from the like from Roy's family will even be there? Yeah, so it's that, that, it's not gonna. Yeah, it's not gonna mean the same. But it's uh, I I don't know. I still don't even know what to expect from the fiftieth right now. We know some of the attractions that are going to be there in time for mm-hmm. it, but I I think this is going to be a celebration unlike anything we've imagined yet. And the only thing that will top it will probably be the hundredth anniversary of disneyland years from now yeah oh wow i mean i i I don't anticipate being there for it you never know but um hopefully i'm watching it from above rather than below but um i can't even imagine a 100th anniversary wow that park i hope i'm around for it i should be Mm, assuming i would uh, think so (laughs) assuming i get cut down on the amount of disneyland corn dogs i eat (laughs) 
Oh no! Now I'm sure they're gonna. There's gonna be some study talking about their their uh, their their healthy benefits. Yes. Uh, Funded by uh, me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And 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 the um, corn oil industry. Um. Anyways, uh, Space Mountain reopened on July 15th after almost two years of reconstruction. Uh, the track is new, using the same layout. The rocket vehicles are new, and the ride is faster, smoother, and darker. The iconic dome is resurfaced with a building material infused with Space Mountain white that required no painting. New linear magnets were installed to replace the chain lifts, and a new soundtrack by Michael Giacchino replaced the Dick Dale soundtrack. Lighting effects were installed that could be used for future themed overlays. The honored guest at the rededication is Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. Armstrong spoke of the power of imagination being crucial in both innovations of space and Disneyland. After a tribute to John Hench, the attraction was open to guests. Okay, now I'm sure you have an opinion as to your preference over space mountains, Craig. I don't. Um, And the only reason why is because, to me, they are just two so different rides that Mm -hmm. it's really not fair to compare them in any way. Uh, The Magic Kingdom one is so special because of the the music and the cue and the whole feel of the cue, the way it was designed. And although I hate that they changed the, the projections on the inside, I, I still, I still have a fondness for being inside magic kingdoms, actual ride area versus Disneyland's. But when you come down to the re-roller coaster itself, if you took both of those outside of the actual the buildings they're in and place them side by side of course disneyland is just so much more superior in every way shape and form but uh it's they're just two different things based on same idea but two complete different interpretations so i don't i don't feel like it's fair to really judge them. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. I think I prefer Disneyland's only because it's smoother, and I feel a little more secure in the um, ride vehicles. Yeah. It, it's, it's Magic Kingdoms, I always think, I, somehow I'm going to bounce out of this thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's, no, it, it definitely is. But it's, like, I feel, when I want to compare two attractions, like roller coasters like that, I would actually be faster to compare Space Mountain and Matterhorn. Matterhorn, mm-hmm. sorry, because those are essentially the same two rides in terms of the ride vehicle and then also the the style of the track. It's They are so similar. Oh, in, in terms of comfort? It, well, especially in terms of comfort. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you there. I really am unhappy. Matterhorn is my favorite roller coaster at a Disney theme park, especially at night, because it's always, you know, 50-50 chance you're going to live through it at night. But um, it's just what they did with those new bobsleds. It's really it's really rough on... Um, I have no padding on my behind. <laughs> that, yeah, that's my wife yeah. says, you know, typical British man, um, <laughs> no butt. And that bouncing, those new bobsleds are really rough on 
Yeah. I find them very I, uncomfortable. I still go on the attraction now. Yeah, I, I still try to do it once per trip, but that's that's gonna have to start going downhill too. I don't I don't wanna purposely put myself through that. Yeah. Well and I'm sure you have a hard time fitting into those. Yeah, I have to sit yeah. in essentially the front seats. I have suffered through the, the middle and the back seats, but mm-hmm. if I'm not in the front, I'm not I'm not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it the, the bobsets also throw off your um, center of gravity because they're yeah, 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 they're very yeah. different from the previous bobsleds. So in that respect as well. So, well, there was also a lot of celebrating over at Disney's California Adventure. Um, block party bash burst out on May fifth. It was the new park's second major parade. Block Party Bash featured characters from the Pixar films, including Toy Story, Bugs Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and The Incredibles. Uh, Block Party Bash was more of a mobile stage show than a parade, and I was never a fan of that style of parade, because if you were in the wrong place, you just didn't you missed out. Yeah, I get that. Um, yeah, um, Block Party Bash moves in parade mode to one of the party zones. So when the show debuted, there were three party zones. Red, located in Sunshine Plaza, green, outside of Bugsland, and blue, outside Golden Dreams. And upon its arrival in the party zones, the show begins. Uh, the four main units, as well as smaller block tweeners, feature Green Army men, serving as sort of a party drill sergeant. Um, guests are invited to join in the jumping, dancing, Sing games and other fun. In addition to the characters, Block Party Bash featured a large number of dancers, bikers, and trampoline artists. The original cast includes over 60 dancers, 16 acrobats, 12 pairs of jumping stilts, and 30 electric scooters. And guests either love the upbeat contemporary music or hated it. You can guess which which group I was in. You loved it, of course. Um <laughs> Now, this was the one that came to Hollywood Studios, too, right? It did. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Because it annoys me. I, I know he's not listening, so I'll, I'll just say it. But Rhino was constantly, this past trip, complaining about the Pixar Play Parade. And he was completely confusing it with Block Party Bash. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Play Parade... While it isn't a perfect parade, is still light years better than Block Party Bash was. No, oh, I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like the. I, I, we're not talking about the Pixar Fest, but I yeah. like the additions to that parade as well. It made it more well-rounded for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I liked Kevin and Russell. I think they were my favorite. I agree. <laughs> just agree. little things that were yeah. just. They were just a little tiny thing, but I thought that was so clever. Um, In July, Turtle Tacos Crush premiered at Disney's California Adventure. It was designed by Walt Disney Imagineering in collaboration with Pixar. Turtle Talk with Crush is an improvisational, real-time conversation with Crush, the animated sea turtle character from the Disney Pixar film Finding Nemo. The show is a cutting-edge blend of sophisticated computer graphic techniques, image projection, and live, interactive, quick-witted, quick-witted improvisation. The window to the Pacific. Okay, spoiler alert. There are little ones in the audience. You might want to divert their little tender ears. 
It's really a large rear projection screen, portraying an animated undersea environment. The image of Crush is a digital puppet controlled by a backstage actor and puppeteer whose performance is translated in real time into 3D computer animation. Um, Crush's movements and voice-activated lip sync are rendered on the fly and are projected at 60 frames per second so that the turtle's mouth moves in synchronization with the actor's words. Sophisticated digital puppetry techniques allow the puppeteer's movements to control the body motions of the projected turtle, enabling Crush to maneuver about naturalistically with real-time human control. And this technology enables every show to be different than the one before, as Crush responds uniquely to each individual audience member. Using a system of hidden cameras, the invisible actor is able to see the audience with whom he is interacting, which allows him to refer to a specific appearance and behavior of guests, as well as their location in the theater. The actor's performance is a combination of semi-scripted banter and improvised responses to guests' questions and comments, delivered in a mimicry of the character voice from the film, which was originally performed by Andrew Stanton. I love Turtle Talk with Crush. Um, I love yeah. seeing the little ones interact with him. I, I am so amazed sometimes by how clever and funny Crush is and how quick-witted he is. And um, I, 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 I will just, even when I'm by myself in the park, I'll just go in and sit in the back just to watch. Yeah, it's a very enjoyable show. It's something that I don't do nearly enough that I, I wish I, I would think about it more often. Yeah, and the technology just blows me away. Oh, absolutely no! Yeah. I've I've seen I haven't seen the the rig that Turtle Talk with Crush uses before, but I've I've seen um, I've seen digital puppetry before mm-hmm. at other places, and the the techniques are just marvelous. I mean, there's there's some animated TV shows I don't know any that anyone would actually watch, but stuff that I know like Jim Henson Productions have made using digital puppetry to do full animated shows instead of paying animators to go in and do everything. It's, it's all digital puppetry and mm-hmm. it, it's such a, it's a cool, cool technology. It's, it's really undervalued. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I think, you know, I've seen it on the Disney cruise lines and I don't know, it just doesn't seem to work for me. It doesn't work as well in that venue. And I think it's part of it is because the, guests are too distracted by their food and by the conversations that they want to have with their families and friends and their servers and they maybe can't give crush the attention that he needs in order to be his true self yeah it's it's not a great venue for it the the theaters that were designed specifically for it work the best and you know animators palette is as much as they try to make the best of it it's there are there are better uses of that space with the mm-hmm. other with the other dinner shows, but again, about Disney, uh, the the parks, not Disney Cruise Line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, 
Disney, oh, it, it just seemed as if um, Disney's California Adventure, though, couldn't get a break. On July 29th, 25 guests riding the California Screamin' Roller Coaster were injured when one train crashed into another, with 15 guests being taken to local hospitals for treatment of minor injuries. An investigation showed the cause was a faulty brake valve installed a few days earlier by Disney instead of by the ride manufacturer. Disneyland's happiest celebration on Earth was a success in 2005. Attendance grew to 14.26 million by the end of the year. But all was not happy outside of Disneyland in the corporate offices of the Walt Disney Company. A group led by Roy E. Disney demanded that Michael Eisner step down earlier than planned. On October 1st, Bob Iger became the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. A new era was about to begin. Well, here we are. It is your favorite time of the show. It is This Day in Disney History Quiz. And this time it is for the week of May 6th. Of course, we, we have our, our champion so far, Craig Williams. And, and in the other corner, literally in the other corner of the country, over on my side, part of our West Coast team is is Nancy Johnson. Nancy, welcome back. You're going down, Williams. Going down. <laughs> sure. So again, this... Hi, everybody. <laughs> so for listeners new to the show, Nancy, Nancy, when did you join the Diz? What year did you I, join? That should be a trivia I joined question, in maybe. 2009. Actually, okay. January of 2009. Yeah. And um, okay. that was when Pete held the auditions to, to have people send in their tapes, and mm-hmm. he made the decision. And yeah, yeah. So yep. Nancy, Nancy, and I were well. We were friends before, and then um, through the Diz, and then I became part of the the Disneyland podcast, the Diz Unplugged Disneyland Edition, along with Nancy and team. And um, now I've moved on to connecting with Walt. Nancy's been you've been doing the best and worst of Disneyland yeah. videos. Which yep. I find very entertaining and a lot of fun. So, so if for our Disneyland folks who are missing the Disneyland show, be sure you check out the best and worst of Disneyland to get your, um, you know, get your Disneyland fix. You and never to know keep who up the may date. appear. You yeah, never know you ne- who may appear. That <laughs> yes, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so so anyway, so just to go over the rules of this day in Disney history quiz um, for our our new listeners, uh, or as a refresher for for our older listeners like me. Um, anyway, uh, if you choose not to hear the multiple choice questions, you receive three points for a correct answer. If you choose to hear the multiple choice. Um, you know, options. Um, you receive two points for the correct answer. If you ask me to take away an incorrect answer, you will get one point for the correct answer. Or if you're, if you, if I remember that your opponent has um, gotten it wrong, you can, and you, you, I remember that you can steal the question as, as, as I forgot again last week, um, and, and you answer it correctly, you can get one point. And for our listeners playing at home, remember no, no Googling or Yahooing or binging or, or anything like that. If the, play fair and square 
So, okay, Nancy, since you are our our guest on Connecting with Walt, would you like to receive the first question or pass it on to Craig? I'm going to be bold again this week, and I'm going to go for that first question. Okay, well, and you know, this first question happens not far from your house, actually. Okay. The El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, California, mm-hmm. launched a special 10-day salute to this landmark Walt Disney Pictures feature on May 6th, 2004. What was the feature? May 6th. 2004. Ooh. They've done so many of those little snippety things. I'm mm-hmm. going to go ahead and go with the... I'm going to be conservative and go with the go with the right. uh, multiple choice. Alrighty. Was it A, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, B, Mary Poppins, C, Tron, or D, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? 2004 was when they were still doing the big displays. I'm going to go I'm going to go with Tron. It was either Tron or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So I'm going to go with Tron. I'm just going to do it. Final answer? Sure. You are correct. Yes. The the El Capitan Theater Mm -hmm. launches a special 10-day salute to Walt Disney Pictures' 1982 landmark computer animated feature Tron. And Craig, was that a was that a a, a surprise exclamation there? I heard. That was. I'm hmm. proud. That's that was a tough one. That was, and um, I was surprised. Out of all the films that they chose, it was Tron. I'd gone there for when they did, like, um, Sleeping Beauty, and I think I saw Pinocchio. Remember when they used to trot out the classics and do the big extravaganzas? Yep. And all that. I'd I'd go down there for those. uh, Yeah. Well, you know, and that was back in the day when they had, before they moved What's-His-Name into the theater next door for the evening show. Um, and so therefore, um, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, next mm-hmm. door, um, mm-hmm. they use that as a, a display space and a kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So they did Haunted Mansion in a huge display. They did Atlantis mm-hmm. in a huge display and they had a lot of Tron stuff there. I remember that. Yeah. One. So that's yeah, cool. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, good job. So you scored right away. Okay. Yay, woo! So. Craig, here you go. So, for May 7th, three months after shouting, I'm going to Disneyland, the Super Bowl 42 MVP finally rides down Main Street USA at Disneyland on May 7th, 2008. Who was this champ? That is... That's a difficult one. Um, because I do not remember who won the Super Bowl that year. I didn't remember who won this past year. Well, yeah, that's it. I'm (laughs) probably five years ago. I would have been able to snap this off the top of my head, but 
the the more I fill my head with other useless knowledge, the the stuff that used to be important to me is has fallen out. So I, I'm just gonna go. Imagine when you get to be my age, what falls out, Craig? <laughs> I, I don't want to. Please don't make me. Um, oh, that, that just visualized wrong. <laughs> and I work in the medical field, so that just visualized wrong. I was, I'm out of your head. Out of your head. I, I'll go multiple choice. <laughs> okay. Was it A, Peyton Manning? Or B, Eli Manning? I had to get them both in there. C, Santonio Holmes? Or D, Tom Brady? Um, what, was what was the year again, Michael? It is uh, 2008. This is Super okay. Bowl 42. It okay. So I would have been a I would have been a junior in college. The Steelers. Oh, they didn't say high school. No, no, no. College. <laughs> um, the Steelers won the next year. Because that was my senior year, they won. They won the year mm-hmm. before going into my freshman and then senior. Um, that, that's why I um, included I feel, one yeah. of the folks in there I, just for you. So I'm pretty. If I remember <laughs> this correctly, this was the New York Giants versus Patriots Super Bowl, and I remember watching it on my dorm bed by myself probably drinking beer underage at that point in time i was just shy of Ooh, true confession just shy of well he did 21. go to a catholic college so. yeah uh, you know. <laughs> jesuits drink like crazy uh, but i i this was uh, eli manning won this one so he would have been mvp <laughs> You are correct. Three months after shouting, I'm going to Disneyland Super Bowl 42 MVP. Eli Manning finally rides down Main Street USA Disneyland. He makes the trip in a classic Cadillac convertible accompanied by his new bride, Abby McGrew, Mickey Mouse, and other Disney characters. Manning led the New York Giants to victory over the New England Patriots last February 3rd. So very good. So it is a tie score. Okay, so so Nancy, over to you. Okay. Okay, here you so go. So what was that? so what was the big delay? I I, I got to ask this before you get into it. Do you know what the big delay was and why? He, why I he was? I'm thinking since he had a new bride. Yeah. That was my thought. I, I suspect that was probably <laughs> the delay. <laughs> you are not leaving before the wedding. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sorry. So, all right. <laughs> okay, my so, turn. May 8th, to help celebrate the 50th anniversary of Disneyland, this popular daytime television show tapes two shows at Disneyland on May 8th, 2005. Which talk show is it? Oh man, I want to skip the. I want to skip the questions. Oh, or the choices. Let me see. Let me see. Do I feel that can, that secure? Do I feel that secure? Do I feel that secure? I don't know. Hmm. And I'm sure it was an ABC-related talk show. So I'm gonna go, and it wasn't okay. 
see the thing I'm I'm hung up on is do you count morning shows and talk shows to be the same thing? Like, are you thinking of a Regis and Kelly kind of thing as a talk show, or or is like Good Morning America a talk show? It's it, so that's why that's what's holding me back from that. Remember, I didn't say talk out. show. I just said popular daytime television. Oh, daytime show. television show. So the field's wide open. It is it's in the daytime. I know, which is which is what means. Which is why I'm looking at that. Give me the choices. Okay, is it A, Live with Regis and Kelly, B, The View, C, Good Morning America, or D, The you. Wayne Brady Show? Dang you, dang you, dang you. Um, because all of them were on my list except for number four because I forgot that existed. Um, I think most of the United States did. <laughs> no, I love... You don't understand. Wayne Brady like is him. like worshipped in our house. The girls are... I know. I know. I'm. This is bad parenting 101. <laughs> the girls are huge fans of who, Whose Line Is It Anyway, no matter how raunchy that oh, show is. <laughs> and they show. love Wayne Brady. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Regis. Okay, final answer? Yes. Okay, you are correct, and those episodes will air on ABC TV May 9th and 10th. Very good. See, and I even threw that out there as one of my choices. And, but I couldn't say anything, to be fair. I know, and you didn't even... Okay, we're on video right now, and I and he had dead... Uh, I swear to God that you should play poker with Mr. Bowling. <laughs> so. Because it was deadpan. Okay. Well, now it is four to two in Nancy's favor. Craig, your turn for May 9th. The AMC Theater in downtown Disney Anaheim hosts a pre-release celebration of this science fiction-themed film on May 9th, 2015. What film is it? Uh, Oh, okay. 2015. May 9th. It's a pre-release celebration. Gosh, again, this is kind of like the last one. It's I know that's only been a couple years, but I just I, I don't have it in my in my head of what's been been happening. you I think your opponent does. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go with multiple choice. <laughs> okay, is it A. Avengers: Age of Ultron, B. Ant Man, C. Tomorrowland? Or D, Star Wars The Force Awakens? Uh, so my two choices are between... My two choices would be between Tomorrowland and, uh, and Age of Ultron. And I'm just going to say Tomorrowland. I know there was one event out there because one of my friends won a contest for it. But I... I'm not out in California. I don't pay attention. 
<laughs> oh, but I think you were a fan of this film. Um, celebrities and Disney legends swarmed the blue carpet of the Tomorrowland premiere to celebrate the pre-release of the futuristic Disney film at the AMC Theater in downtown Disney, California. Um, starring George Clooney and Britt Robertson, Tomorrowland opened in U.S. theaters May 22nd. Well, that's a good job, Craig. That's the premiere they were at. So <laughs> that's right. And Nancy, I assume you were there as well. <laughs> no, I wasn't there, but I, I, yeah, I, I knew that one. You knew that one, yeah. That was a big deal, actually. I could have so. done that one without the questions. <laughs> so Darn it's funny you! How they, it's funny how they fought. Well, maybe you can do that with this one. Okay. Um, so it's it's a tie game right now. So. Nancy, for the first time since moving to Hollywood, Walt Disney delivers a cartoon without a continuing character on May 10th, 1929. What is the title of this cartoon? Oddly enough, I think I know this one. I could be um, I could be a good sport and just tell Craig if he wants to answer it with the without the without the things I'll swap him and I'll do the next one. <laughs> no, I see I've made this mistake enough on the trivia that I make these guesses when I don't have to, and that's when I, yeah. I screw up. You know what I'm. <clears throat> Since my memory is blending in this, I'm going to go ahead and ask for the choices. All right. Is it A, springtime, B, the carnival kid, C, plain crazy, or D, the skeleton dance? Ooh. say okay I'm, I'm thinking it through I, you told me to talk it through um, mm -hmm. so part of me wants to say plain crazy because of the fact that like two of them that and Steamboat William were made out of order and one was shown later mm -hmm. but, but think of what the question is but yeah sure. no so otherwise I'm either thinking I'm gonna I'm thinking I'm gonna go a skeleton dance Okay, is that your final answer? Oh, the only thing is it's in springtime as opposed to October, and that's holding me up on that one. And the first one was called Springtime? Yes. The first choice was Springtime? Oh...
I think because of my rationale and why it shouldn't be skeleton dance, I'm going to go springtime and I'm going to shoot myself if it's skeleton. Well, I'm not okay. going to shoot myself, but I'm, going, I'm <laughs> going to give myself a kick in the pants if uh, it was skeleton dance. Okay. Is that your final answer? Yeah, springtime. We'll go springtime. Okay. That is incorrect. I knew okay. it. Well, don't kick yourself yet, because we don't know the correct answer. I know. <laughs> okay, Craig, over to you. Uh, my guess was, it? was going to be skeleton dance. And that is correct. So now, Nancy, oh! <laughs> it is the first It is the first of the silly symphonies. Yes. And, and so Plain Crazy and Carnival Kid were Mickey Mouse shorts, so they right. had a continuing character. Right. And um, Springtime was in and color, spring- wasn't it? Well, and so, no, it was in black and white, but it came out ironically in October. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, but I, um, I was, I over rationalized. So, anyway, yeah. So, anyway, to attract a national distributor for the Silly Symphony series, Walton Roy arranged for the Skeleton Dance to run at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles and at the Fox Theater in San Francisco in June um, 1929, while Pat Powers arranged for it to play at New York's Roxy Theater um, from July. Uh, Sadly, none of those theaters exist today, I believe. Um, In early August, Columbia Pictures agreed to distribute the Silly Symphonies, and the Skeleton Dance played as a Columbia release in September at the Roxy, making it the first picture in the theater's history to have a return engagement. Okay. All right. So it's five to four. And Craig, it's your turn. Okay. All right. This is right up your alley because you're our um, you're our film um, critic for the Diz. On May 11th, 1944, Columbia Pictures releases the film Once Upon a Time. Starring Cary Grant, the film tells the story of a boy, his dancing caterpillar, and the man who wants to make them famous to save his theater. Walt Disney's name is mentioned throughout the film, and there's a scene of Walt Disney over a long-distance phone call from Hollywood offering $100,000 for the Caterpillar. Who is the actor portraying Walt Disney in this film? Oh, good golly. Um, I know, right? Yeah, um, you know. That just got worse and worse the more you read. Yeah, so (laughs) I will go multiple choice. Okay, is it A, William Demarest, B, Walter Fenner, C, Lloyd Bridges, or D, Lionel Barrymore? It's a shot in the dark. I'm going to go with B. Walter Fenner? Yeah. Final answer? Yeah, I don't know. And and this is why you're our our film guy, Walter Fenner, in an uncredited (laughs) role portrayed Walt Disney. Of course, you know him better, Craig, for um, his his acting in The Shanghai Cobra from 1945, or The Sap from Syracuse, 1930, and The G-Men versus The Black Dragon, that classic from 1943. Uh, honestly, I mean, that was a guess. It sounded familiar. <laughs> like, I obviously know who Lloyd Bridges is, but mm-hmm. I yeah. he doesn't look anything like Walt Disney, so that would have been a stretch, so... I'm sorry, Nancy. That was, that was. No, that's okay. I I had already eliminated Lloyd Bridges and Walt and and Barry and John Barrymore. So mm-hmm. that yeah, and same. William Demarest actually and, and De- is William in, Demers, He's in the yeah. film. He's in the film, but in another role. 
Yeah. So anyway, but okay, yeah, wasn't that that was quite interesting? Okay, and well, it's seven to four, but Nancy, you can, you can, you can, um, if you're this bold, is our last you one? can, you can tie this if you're bold. Okay. okay, this future Disney Jungle Cruise skipper and presidential press secretary is born on May twelfth. Who celebrates their birthday today? Or who is celebrating their birthday today on May 12th? Future Disneyland Jungle Skipper and Presidential Press Secretary. And I remember that, tri- you know, a trivia bit about him being a Jungle Cruise Skipper that came out right about then. Ugh. It was a big deal at the time, I remember. Yeah. And and now I can't seem to I can't seem to remember, so let's go with the I'm going to co- have to concede this game to Craig again and and go with the choices. <clears> hey, <throat> okay. is it A Ron Ziegler, uh, who is the press secretary for Richard Nixon? B George Stephanopoulos, who is for Bill Clinton? C. Ari Fleischer for George W. Bush or D. Josh Ernest for Barack Obama? I want to say it was George Stephanopoulos. Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. I'll go with that one. That is incorrect. Incorrect. So, so Craig, who is our future Jungle Cruise skipper and presidential press secretary? Is it Ron Ziegler, Ari Fleischer, or Josh Ernest? I genuinely don't know this one, so I'll go with Josh Ernest. Okay, that is incorrect. It's Ron Ziegler. Ziegler. He worked at Disneyland as a Jungle Cruise skipper during his college years. He was at the University of Southern California. And he later became U.S. President Nixon's press secretary. He is born in Covington, Kentucky, on May 12th, 1939. Okay. So, seven to four. Okay, Craig, great job there. And okay. I will say, this is this was probably the toughest, uh, the, the closest battle we've had since we've uh. started this. this uh, uh-huh. Especially this game. This was, uh, I could have won it either way, really. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yep, Nancy, you're you're a good um, opponent here. Well, thank you. I feel honored. But, but now you know we, it's usually our tradition that that folks come back for a third try here. You know, to, okay. to give, give you one more chance to you know to um, to try you know, and challenge Craig. Craig. That's right. That's right. So we will look forward to seeing you next week here on Connecting with Walt. So Craig, did you enjoy um, our walk through this uh, this new millennium decade of Disneyland? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a era that unfortunately I wasn't lucky enough to ever attend the resort, but uh, it, it's amazing to see the changes that happened in this time period. The the new addition of California Adventure, the ups and downs, uh, and then to wrap it all up with with the 50th anniversary it's it can't get much better than that and 
I remember being in Pennsylvania, just dreaming of being able to go to the 50th anniversary and you know downloading pirated versions of <laughs> of the soundtrack <laughs> that were released and wishing I could have got my hands on the on the on the giant box set that also mm-hmm. came with the vinyl and like it, it it was just such an exciting time as a Disney fan no matter which coast you were on where which parks you attended because like you said we even got all the uh, all the fun in over here on Walt Disney World too with we had uh, the addition of Soren, which mm-hmm. you guys gifted us. We had the addition of Lights Motors Action, which Paris gifted us, and good riddance. Um, <laughs> we had, uh, I think it was called Cinderella Bration, the yes. stage show from Tokyo, and mm-hmm. it was just, you know, it was just a, a wild event. So it's, it, it was definitely a an up and down era but a really cool era in disney so real neat stuff it was yeah it was and i loved the 50th anniversary celebration it was just so exciting it was so nice that they um honored walt and his legacy as part of it as as much as they did as well as the the early years of the park i mean it really was uh and to see the park restored just to its its glory yeah. as as a, a shining jewel yeah again, i really after wish all that i i had the chance when when i graduated from high school in in 2005 so uh that would have been, yeah, June of 2005. I got asked what I wanted to do, which I, I still don't remember giving the answer Walt Disney World. But I've been told that I was given the choice of going to California, going to Hawaii, going to Germany. And apparently I, I chose Walt Disney World. I, I still stand by it to this day that my sister chose it for me. But I, deep down, I wish then she would have chose Disneyland so I could have got to see it during Mm -hmm. during that time period. But I've made some great memories in between too. Absolutely, yeah. Well, let us know if you have any memories of Disneyland from two thousand to two thousand and five, and you know either uh, you know post your memories on at Connecting Walt. Or you know through uh, all our other social media that we'll be um, we'll be rattling off in just a moment. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I, I would love to hear them. Uh, our too. next in, in our next installment of the sixty years of Disneyland series will cover the years of two thousand and six to um, twenty ten, sometime in the future. So many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of 60 Years of Disneyland, including The Disneyland Story, The Unofficial Guide to the Evolution of Walt Disney's Dream by San Genoway, The Disneyland Encyclopedia by Chris Strouder. Um, Some websites I checked out included the Orange County Register, the Los Angeles Times, Disney Extinct Attractions, Disney Parks Blog, the Disney Wiki, Laughing Place, and Yesterland. Uh, I'd also like to thank my lovely research assistant and wife, Carol Bowling, for her invaluable work locating the additional material I needed for this episode. Um, Just as a personal note, on the day this episode airs, Carol will be having surgery. So I know we'd both appreciate it if you would keep her in 
and your thoughts and prayers. And if you'd like to send her messages on social media, her Facebook page is Carol Diz Bowling. She's going to have a very long recovery, and I, I, I'm sure she'd enjoy spending time hearing from all of you who benefit from her her research skills. So Absolutely. Yeah. So Craig, until next time, where can our listeners connect with you on the Dis Unplugged? As always, Tuesdays on the Disney World Edition podcast. Walt Disney World Edition podcast, that should be. But it's not. I didn't get a name in the same. Uh, the Universal Edition of podcast <laughs> on Thursdays. Dis Daily Fix on random days of the week when I decide to do it. And... Then, of course, as always, on Twitter and Instagram, at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can always send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, my personal Twitter is, is at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. That's the one with the connecting with Walt banner and a little cartoon in my face that was created by a listener very generously on instagram i'm michael bowling the diz but you can connect with me and craig on connecting with walt's twitter page at connecting walt and there's all kinds of also there's a lot of little history tidbits that are posted there um every day if you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of walt disney his studio his imagineers and disneyland check out our disneyland podcast archives for my disney history episodes at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of connecting with walt on itunes where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. (laughs) 